Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of Please Don't Tell My Mom. My name is Steven Reinman. Um, this week, no Bryce filling in for him. We got a very special guest today. Um, return guest, um, one of my, one of my, actually I'd say he's my favorite non-American in the entire world. I'll say that. Um, his name is Jacob Burkett, What's going on, Jacob? Wow, what an introduction. That is, Thank you. I don't think anyone's ever said anything that nice to me. In my... <laughs> well, to be fair, you know I don't know many non-Americans, so. No, yeah, but I'm, I'm assuming you know, for the purpose of this, you know every non-American in the world. And yeah. I am still at the top of that list. So thank you. That Absolutely. Whatever you got to tell yourself. <laughs> um so the reason i brought you on today um is because we have had quite a bit of discussion in a mutual group that we're in about what makes a good movie um more specifically the uh, merits of the marvel cinematic universe and (laughs) why they are good or bad um i think anybody who will be listening to this knows how you feel about them but um, anybody who, or anybody in the group, will know how you feel. Anybody not in the group, why don't you explain how you feel about the uh, the Marvel universe? I mean, I don't, I don't know what the what the consensus is here because I'm like, yeah, they're they're average movies. I think Martin Scorsese said it best when he said they're they're attractions. They are, you know, they're roller coaster rides. They're not cinema, so to speak. But that's fine. Like, you know, you want to sit down, turn your brain off for two hours and watch good guys beat up bad guys like people have been doing that for a hundred years and marvel is just now doing it with bigger budgets and overarching storylines and which aren't you know they're not that great overarching storylines it's not they're not that great movies but they're you know they're better than like the hobbit movies or the latest star wars movies or you know, they're just average movies. That's why I think Marvel's got so so dominant in the market because in terms of blockbusters, they're able to churn out just, you know, average content multiple times a year when other parts of Disney or other studios are really struggling to make that kind of thing work. So, you know, it's it exists and I acknowledge it exists and sometimes I even watch a movie and enjoy it. That's, but that's, you know... Apparently that's that's not allowed in the the greater discussion about Marvel. Now they dominate everything. Well, I mean, they're definitely they're for kids. Um, ultimately, yeah. ever since they got bought out by Disney, they they are made for children. They're made to make a bunch of money. Um, kids are who I mean they they get their parents to take them to these shows or these movies, um, and th- that I mean it's ultimately it's a money making machine. Which there's nothing wrong with that. Um, <laughs> Make your money. Same thing with Star Wars. Yeah, do your thing. Um, do you have like a quick off the top of your head favorite Marvel movies? Uh, I think generally for me, the Marvel movies that work best are when they lean into the fact that Marvel itself is quite a kind of sci-fi romp, Buck Rogers kind of tongue-in-cheek without a lot of emotional stakes because I don't think the emotional stakes are that great, but some people enjoy them. So, like, I quite liked Guardians of the Galaxy 1. I honestly, I watched um, Spider-Man, the latest Spider-Man, 
And I was like, yeah, that's fine. That's that's all right. You know, that was pretty good. And um, Avengers 1, I don't think it's aged that well, but, you know, it's good fun at the time. Like, you know, there's a few of them where when they really lean into the sci-fi elements, I'm like, yeah, that was that was all right. You know, I didn't mind watching that. Uh, Thor Ragnarok as well, another one where it's very tongue-in-cheek and leans heavily into the sci-fi elements and the fun of it. But then there's other stuff like like Thor 2 <laughs> where it's just famously awful. Yeah. And most of them I think are, you know, I, I finish and I'm like, oh, that was that was real junk food for me. But yeah, like if I had to name if I had to name like three off the top of my head that I actually finished and I quite enjoyed, it would be Guardians of the Galaxy, Ragnarok, and the latest Spider Man. I don't I forget the names because they all have home in the title, the latest one. Yeah, I don't remember them either. And Spider Man's my favorite <laughs> superhero. <laughs> that tells you anything about how I feel about this newest iteration of Spider Man. Um, <laughs> I am I am very surprised that Guardians of the Galaxy was the first one you named. I didn't anticipate oh, yeah. that, but that is actually that's my favorite. Um, oh, it's great! You know the soundtrack, the oh, the group, awesome. the team up. It's all you know. It's great. It's fun. Yeah, I mean, the soundtrack is what makes, I mean, James Gunn, feel about him how you will, but the man knows how to make a great um, soundtrack for his movies slash TV shows. Um, Yeah, yeah, that's that's good. Um, Ragnarok was good. Did you see the newest Thor? I have not seen the newest Thor. I haven't had great things, though. Yeah, it was all right. Um, (laughs) Nothing special. It had a great soundtrack, but that's about all it had. Yeah. I'm not shocked. So I say all that uh, about the MCU to um, to bring up the larger question here that I wanted to ask you. And that was, if you can simplify it, what what to you makes a good movie? I mean, <laughs> easy yeah, question to answer. I know it's a, yeah, it's an easy question to answer. I yeah. I mean, you said that before we record and I was like, I don't know. I mean, there's there's so much that goes into it. I would say, I mean, the very simple answer is actually, I think, the edit. The edit makes a good movie. Mm-hmm. Like, you, you look at a movie like um, Blade Runner or Apocalypse Now, just off the top of my head, two movies that famously have multiple edits. I think Blade Runner has seven edits. And the first one I ever watched was the theatrical release, and I was like, I do not get the hype about this. This is pretty shit. Like, it's all right, but it's pretty... Like, it's, you know, it's like an average movie with some really interesting ideas. And then I watched the final cut, and it was a totally different experience. Like, they'd removed, like, the narration, they changed some scenes around, so certain characterizations were different, and it was a lot, lot better. Like, there are... There's a lot you can do in an edit that is kind of the root of what makes cinema so good. Like for me, a lot of it comes down to story because like, that's what I do. Like I'm not a cinematographer. I'm not an editor. I'm not a director. I like to write. I like to write scripts. So, you know, bad dialogue very quickly takes me out. Bad characterization, um, bad pacing, a kind of a bad story with a bad message with like, um, like where you haven't clearly thought out 
each step as you go along and instead you're kind of leaning on very simple kind of mechanics to make the story work that's not something i like but i kind of i lean more towards that direction but yeah i think actually like the best answer for a film is the edit is the most important thing and then you know cinematography is very important choreography is very important direction actor performances like they're all important but i think yeah if i had to name one thing that makes a good movie it's the edit okay um you mentioned cinematography cinematography i'm having tough times with words today um you mentioned that and i heard that word um with every single time somebody mentioned or was reviewing dune um the newest dune Mm -hmm. that came out i don't know if you've seen that yet yeah yeah um i went to go see it in the theaters with my wife and we both um had a nice long nap during the movie it was it was it was a night it was a lovely nap but as far as the movie goes we uh were not fans but everything okay. i heard about it was oh the cinematography is so incredible it's i'm like okay well they they shot sand like i just half of it i was just looking at the desert um yeah but there's some real beauty like i i do think dune is one of the most beautiful things i've ever seen i wasn't a fan like i was I say I wasn't a fan. I liked it. Like I thought it was a good movie, but but it was for different reasons. I really liked the cinematography. I thought it was like drop dead gorgeous. Just like basically every Dennis Villeneuve movie is just gorgeous to to look at. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I get that. Um, you know, just looking at pretty pictures, looking at pretty things on the screen isn't for everyone. And it's, yeah. it's, all, it's all subjective, you know, like someone might like an artist and someone else might say he's, he's boring. That's kind of what it comes down to. But no, I'd, yeah, I kind of get it because Dune as well, some of the performances, it's very, you know, it's kind of this like elevated kind of theater performance in that, you know, these people are like these kind of, they're very like sci-fi fantasy, like the king and you know the mage and stuff and they're all these kind of archetypal performances it's all it's a bit kind of i wouldn't say stilted because they're very good actors but like you know it's very much like i am the head of this royal house and you know you are the like my mage and you are my son and this is my enemy it like there isn't it's very much like a formal kind of that everyone kind of exists in this kind of formal realm where like they're presenting themselves like there's no kind of inner life really to them. And that's, I get that, but yeah, yeah I, it's I very, really liked it. they're very stoic is how I, I yeah. came across to me whenever I was watching. And that may have been the way they were told to do it. Um, I've tried reading the books. I couldn't get through that either. I, I don't <laughs> find it a compelling story myself. Like I, I just don't find it interesting. Um, about the only yeah. little bit of life I saw in that first movie was uh, Jason Momoa. He was about the only <laughs> one who showed anything in there. The rest of it, everybody's like their their facial expressions don't change. They're just very like like yeah. you mentioned, like almost business like. They're just yeah. going about it, um, and it, it may be like you're saying it's very formal. So they're they're not. It, that's how it's supposed to be, but. It didn't make for an enjoyable experience. No, I think I think it's fair to have that criticism of Dune. Like I have some, like I think the worlds themselves aren't that interesting. Like they're very beautiful, but like, do you remember when they go to Arrakis, the 
Sand City. And it's like, do you remember when they go there? And you never see anyone like that city does not feel lived in. To There's me. not one person. Like, exactly. Words. There's yeah. not. And like that. And I think that's important because it's like, it, it feels like nothing exists outside the room that we're looking at. And that makes it feel like this kind of, this huge scope is like, it's only really happening in these like throne rooms. There isn't a larger civilization outside that's like being overthrown. Like while this is happening, it feels very much like if the camera's not looking at parts of this universe, that part doesn't exist. And that was my major issue with the movie, but it was, it was pretty, it was a pretty movie. <laughs> yeah. I mean, so were Marvel movies though. They're very pretty yeah. movies. Yeah, but that's, I mean, Dune's in a different league to Black Widow or whatever. Oh, that was <laughs> awesome. That one I, I simply enjoyed because my my daughter was, was fired up. Like, as soon as we left there, she was like, okay, I got to go get all the Black Widow comics. So, I mean, that's what oh, I meant when I say it's for kids. They're, they, yeah, yeah. Yeah, they're, I mean, they're specifically, it's like, it's almost like the sugary cereal of movies. Like, kids are going to love it. Um, yeah, yeah. It's not ultimately, it's not sustaining. Um, no, no, not for not for adults. Or, you know, I mean, it is for some adults, and that's okay. You know, in the same way that I think, like, I'd, it's okay, but I'm not, like, I do find it a little, just a tiny bit weird. In the same way, I, I would find, like, a woman at Disney World crying when they when she sees the Magic Castle. I would find that weird. <laughs> like I'm like this is for kids, and you're having a really strong emotional reaction to it as an adult. Like I find it a bit weird, but if you enjoy it, you enjoy it. That's fine. Can I tell you, Disney World is one of my favorite places in the. In the world. I totally, I totally believe that. It's <laughs> awesome. I mean, they 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 have perfected like creating a world that is like they have smells blowing out of um, little things in the air, so. It makes you, you know, it conjures up feelings, you know, they, they've, they've got it down just to a science, yeah, yeah. just like they have their movies. Um, oh yeah. I kind of think of it like Nickelback, like it's very <laughs> formulaic. They have perfected the formula that allegedly people love, um, <laughs> but it's, it just feels disingenuous. So I get that. Um, but at the end of the day, like, there are people like myself who I can't sit down and watch a three hour uh, PTA movie during the week. Like I, I work, I want to come home. I don't want to watch something stupid. Like right now I'm watching walking dead. Walking dead yeah. is not as much as they want to be. It's not, it's not it's, brilliant. It's, it's writing. No, no, it's, it's not. What's, what is the, what's the word they use for like break, like prestige TV. Yeah. It's not prestige TV. It is schlocky. It is a zombie survival thing with with like quite boring stretches in it. I found. But... Oh god, it gets brutal. Yeah. Any, anytime there's a bottle episode with Carol, I'm like, come on, can we skip this one? <laughs> it's, it's ultimately not going to mean anything, and it's just going to be her being sad for an hour. Yeah, the Carol. I don't. I don't get why they have like Daryl. I get they invented him for the show. People love him. He's a bit of a power fantasy, but he's quite. He's 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 like a nice boy who's very good at what he does, and that's kind of cool. But like, there are so many cool characters in the comic, and they just ruin them. And they have Carol. Like Carol in the comic 
dies at the first camp in Atlanta. She's shit oh. and she dies. Like she is in the see in the show when you first see her. She's shit. And then she just kind of goes into her shell for three seasons and comes out as like a female Daryl. And like yeah. it, that's not how it is in the comic at all. Like characters like Andrea is awesome. Like Rick is awesome for like m- the majority of the run. Glenn is awesome. Oh, Glenn's always awesome. But like there are so many characters they just ruin in the TV show. Laurie in the TV show is such a cunt. And she's so good in the comic. And I'm just, uh, you know, I was just not a yeah. fan. She's awful. She's probably one of my least favorite characters on the show. Um, yeah. But, I mean, there's a point, and I'll I'll always point it out. It's my favorite moment in the show besides the season two with Shane losing his mind. Like, that. that's number two. Oh, yeah. The far and away is when Rick, like, when it really shows him losing his mind right before they get to Alexandria. And he's just... Mm. He's just murking everybody. He's just, anybody he sees, he just doesn't trust anybody. He, he's got the big crazy beard. He's covered in blood. <laughs> By the time he shows up to like this little pristine uh, community where everybody's safe and sound, and he's just he looks like a madman. I was like, that that's that's good. That's where it should have ultimately led yeah, off. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, there were there were so many great sequences in in the comics that were ruined, like the the prison arc in the comic is masterfully done and they really ruin it. Like Glenn's death in the comic is masterfully done and they really ruin that in the TV show. Like Glenn dies like four times over a season and it's like, by the time he actually dies, you're like, okay, is this the real one? Is this actually going to stick? Because he's like, he's been like, they've cut away when he's been like on top of a car surrounded by zombies. And he's like, like there's one where there's like that cowardly guy who keeps fucking shit up and he like, nearly gets Glenn killed and you're like, Oh, did Glenn get killed? And then the next episode, it's like, no, no, he didn't get killed. And then he finally gets beaten to death with a baseball bat. And in the yeah. comic, he's just, he's super reliable. He's super good. He's like Rick's right hand man. He's amazing. And then Negan just comes along with the baseball bat and just kills him like that. And it's yeah. like, Oh fuck, this is like, <laughs> shit's gone so serious now. And it's, it's so much better, more powerfully done because the comic has much better pacing and much better storytelling which is what we're here to discuss. Yes, we are here to discuss storytelling. We, I hope you know we get lost on tangents every episode of the show. <laughs> so it will happen. Um, like before we get back to what we're ultimately talking about, you mentioned in there just now that Daryl is not, he's not a comic character. He's No, he's no, he doesn't exist creator. at all. No, and Merle, both of the two brothers, they don't exist at all. Oh, Merle is a, an incredible character. Yeah, I mean, he's great too. I think they just added them for some drama early on because early on it's like, you know, Merle appears and he's just like a racist asshole. Yeah. Like there wasn't any of that in the original. I think they were just like, yeah, we need someone to be an asshole here to up the drama. And so they invented him and they invented his brother. And yeah, like they're awesome characters, like good, good guys, like keep them around. But yeah, there's so much they ruined about that show. Like Tyrese, Tyrese was fucking useless and he's so good in the comic. Yeah. Just, yeah. yeah, they could have done yeah. way more with him in, in the show. Yeah, yeah. They could have done. He was an ex NFL linebacker in the comic. And like he's like and so he's like super useful and he's like he's like a rival leader to Rick in a lot of points, and he's just not that in the TV show. It's yeah. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I make a whole point these, now, I like. One of these days I'll pick it up, maybe. 
Um, <laughs> it's yeah, it's much so, much better. One of the things I I uh, we had talked about beforehand, um, talked about discussing was the um, now you <laughs> you kind of blew my mind here a little bit. You said you you don't believe. Um, now I've seen this online as well, so I, you're not the only one. But you don't think uh, the monomyth, 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 the monomyth, yeah, yes, you don't necessarily subscribe to that. Um, I think you kind of. I think now storytelling, like in our day and age, like you know, we've absorbed more narrative than most people. Like for most of human history. The only times you would hear stories is when someone would say it to you, like around the campfire. Like that's something I remember studying quite a bit is that a lot of like for the majority of human history, obviously, story is oral. It's oral storytelling. You know, someone takes a story, they put their own spin on it or, you know, very rarely is this written down. Whereas you and I and people listening to this, they've absorbed a lot more. So we have kind of absorbed like dna just like the dna of storytelling like star wars like the monomyth that is all that is always going to be now i think a part of storytelling but yeah it's not it's like it's it's one way of telling a story and i think it's the very much the one hollywood has taken on board but i do think there are some big issues with it yeah so I mean, for for those who aren't familiar with it, it's basically so, yeah, yeah, it's it's basically like the hero's journey. You know, person, you know, hero gets introduced, something crazy happens, they go mo- go to a different world. You know, all this is is just general, but they yeah, go to a different world, they get changed by their experience in this different world, and then they conquer the the problem. Yeah, and they conquer they, the problem. Yeah, they themselves. They yeah, yeah. They change, they return to, you know, the known. It's all like, you know, you leave the known, enter the unknown, you go on a journey, become a better person, and you return as that better person. Basically, you know, Luke Skywalker is the hero's journey in the original trilogy. He is, yeah. you know, and, you know, you generally you have like a mentor like Obi-Wan Kenobi, you have a villain like Darth Vader, that type of thing. You have, you know, the, the bottom... I think it's called the abyss where like they fall into. So that would be like Luke losing his hand, stuff like that. Like there's that's in most movies. The Lion King is similar. The Lion King follows a similar path. Like most of the movies that people will watch from Hollywood will follow a similar path. Most Marvel movies follow this path to an extent apart from some of them, um, like infinity war, obviously. Yeah, and even with like uh, Lord of the Rings, you know, Frodo yeah. is in the oh, Shire. Yeah. Both him and Bilbo, it's kind of a little repetitive if you think about it. You know, they leave the Shire; <laughs> they're they're uncomfortable leaving the Shire because that's it's crazy. You know, hobbits don't leave the Shire. Go out there, have some wild experience where they are ultimately changed and they mm-hmm. conquer the conquer the bad guy. Um, yeah, and then so yeah, he, and there he wrote the yeah, hero's journey twice. Yeah, he wrote The Hero's Journey twice with like the father-son duo. I think he did some other ones as well. I can't remember. There's like a few other stories in The Lord of the Rings. Like he wrote, yeah. he wrote a lot. There's he wrote the a uh, lot of Tolkien. There's the uh, what's it starts with an S, and I literally never get the name right. It's it's uh, too much mouthy for me. 
Silmarillion. Yep, that's the go. one. Um, yeah. I've never read that. Everybody said don't read that because it's too. It's I've too never read. Uh, complicated. I've never read any of them. I really liked the f- movies growing up, and then I was like, oh yeah buy me you know the dvds or something and my dad was like oh i I bought you the book of like the two towers (laughs) and then i read it and like the first five pages of dwarven poetry and i just put it down and never picked (laughs) it back up i was like okay this is not the movie this is not what the movie's about so i'm not (laughs) really down with this and then yeah i never picked it back up it was just a i wasn't a fan yeah um i i had a Tris on the podcast on the other podcast that we used to do um and oh, yeah. she just de- she described lord of the rings it said <laughs> it cracked me up she said it's um he will go like five pages describing the environment you know the, every little tree what the sky looks like you know mm-hmm. really really going heavy on the setting and then the most basic of action <laughs> for, for like a couple of sentences so it's yeah. just all setting and then boom something happens yeah yeah uh, he's uh he's a special guy old jrr yeah but he, uh, he's he's regarded as a incredible storyteller um he is i, I mean certainly feeling. certainly an incredible world builder like the amount of effort he goes into building the worlds and i don't know it's it's a different age like he he lays the foundations of what comes after like my one of my best friends is far more into fantasy than i am and he's like tolkien is the most important fantasy writer but i think he also he kind of he set fantasy in concrete without like he created so much which is now considered so just the canon of fantasy that people don't really look outside it you know like the idea of like 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 something like the witcher is different because it's very different to something like Lords of the Rings, which is what every fantasy we're used to is telling us. And then The Witcher is very much from a different kind of folklore and Eastern European folklore. So it takes very different turns than we're used to. And that's quite daring and bold to us. But it's not. It's just that we're so used to this kind of this set story of what fantasy is because Tolkien has become Tolkien is fantasy in the Western world. But he's, he's all right. He's all right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, I personally, I, I like C.S. Lewis a little bit better myself. <laughs> I know people have issues with his uh, his personal beliefs, but um, yeah. I think his I, I really think his world building was it's it made it more accessible for the common man. Like mm-hmm. Tolkien did a good job of creating like a really, really in-depth like, you know, like you said, he, he did an incredible job creating a, a world but it's a little too heady for the common man. Whereas, (laughs) you know, somebody can read C.S. Lewis. I read C.S. Lewis, the entire, uh, the the entire saga of Narnia, whenever I was like eight, nine years old. So it's it's something a a child can comprehend, but it's still like, it's still a brilliant piece of fiction. Yeah. 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 He's a very, yeah. And I don't know, like, I think like Tolkien had a, quite a few similar beliefs to Lewis. He just wasn't as overt in um, how he put them kind of into his books. But like the orcs and stuff like the men from the East, like it's all very, it's oh, all really? very like, uh, you know, that 20th century, that kind of very racist undertone. I mean, most of fantasy that we get from J.R.R. Tolkien has quite a racist undertone, honestly. 
of like yeah. these people, different stereotypes of like orcs and elves and dwarves, like they the very stereotypical ways they're portrayed is quite it's quite racist. It's quite yeah. racist, but also they don't exist, so we can be racist to them and no one's gonna <laughs> complain. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, we can hate the orcs for being orcs because they're yeah. different. Um, yeah, it doesn't matter. I have a tangent incoming, but it's something that always bothers. It, it, it drives me crazy when I'm reading fantasy, um, and it's it's a trope that really really bugs me. Every single high fantasy book that you read, pretty much, they have the elves, and they're the exact same in every single iteration. They're just very, they're very advanced. They're very arrogant. They're like, you know, supposedly so much more powerful than, than man. And yet they're always, they're always second banana or they are in hiding or they've been driven to almost extinction. And it it always bothers me. that It's like, (laughs) all right, if they're, if they, you've set them up as to be like these all powerful beings, why are they always losing to man who is you know, fumbling idiots? <laughs> if they're so smart, how come they're all dead? Yeah, exactly. Basically. I don't know if that's ever struck you, but it drives me bonkers. I mean, I, I've, I, you know, my, my take on board fantasy, like outside of Lord of the Rings and reading Terry Pratchett growing up, who breaks most of those rules, I have very little taken with fantasy. Like I, I've read very little fantasy but no i know like everyone like it's like it when like i was saying tolkien's fantasy is so inbuilt into kind of how we perceive kind of these different cultures like fantasy storytelling like i know what you're talking about from only one example because it's so pervasive like i know that's that's what elves are they're these like magical people they wear white and like gold and they float on clouds and they like have like this beautiful blonde hair you know i'm just describing what's his name what's his name hugo weaving i don't, I don't the guy, know the guy oh. who plays him in oh. Lord of the rings oh um elrond oh the guy who there plays him i yeah. don't well I don't know uh, well elrond no that's him that's him you that's him and legolas that's the one yeah that legolas one too yeah, yeah that yeah, bitch yeah. <laughs> yeah, the, um, I have my own issues with his appearances in the movies. They're they're quite ridiculous. Um, <laughs> sliding down those those rocks while firing a million arrows. It listen, that's a whole thing. That'd be a whole nother tangent. <laughs> um, so you don't you don't read fantasy. Um, how do you really? Because that's the only way I really digest my my storytelling. That's I'm I'm big into reading into fantasy novels, fantasy movies, games, that such. Um, big fan of The Witcher. I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that. Um, Sapkowski yeah, yeah. is a. I think he's he's a genius when it comes to writing because, um, as you mentioned, he he kind of diverts from from the usual path. A lot a lot of his writing is more about the philosophy of of things instead of just bad guy kill <laughs> you know yeah. good guy kills yeah, yeah. bad guy for because bad guy's obviously bad it, it really no, yeah. dives more into it yeah I, I enjoy it i mean i know you have all your issues with the tv show and i'm not like i think it's fine but like i generally find fantasy stuff pretty boring and i think the witcher there's enough interesting stuff going on that i enjoy watching it 
even though it's it's not like amazing television like i enjoy it but i know you have your issues with it just being different and not as good as the original well i i it's not that it's not as good like i enjoy it it's, i i feel it's fine as well like I'll, i'm gonna watch every every season that comes <laughs> yeah, out yeah but uh, the when i mentioned that he the reason i like him so much is because he creates those philosophical debates um, the TV yeah. show kind of gets rid of those. Yeah, they um, don't really exist in no, the TV show at all. No, and that's that's more of you know I understand they're they're creating a huge budget show for Netflix. They can't really rock the boat too much. Um, my issue with with people having issues with it is usually that it's they're complaining that the the elves are black in there. <laughs> they're like, why <laughs> why are there different colored skin people in here? This is this is for white people only. Like, come on, just <laughs> it's fantasy. If there's anywhere like you yeah. can have where race really doesn't matter for telling the story, is like these fantasy made up stories. It's like, was well, it Ariel is being black? It's like she's a mermaid. She doesn't exist. <laughs> None of these things are real. There are there like, are no actual elves. <laughs> no, it's not it's not a black Abe Lincoln, okay? It's <laughs> it's an elf. Yeah. It's, it's not we're not it's not a real historical figure. Don't worry, guys. Yeah. But, yeah that's, that's that's why I learned about how uh how questionable Eastern Europe can be. <laughs> because that's mostly yeah. who's complaining about it. Um, yeah, they are quite racist. So yeah. before I went on that little spiel about the witch, I was asking you what what stories you you like to you like to read, if not for fantasy. Um, I mean, I, I'm more of a sci-fi fan, particularly like um, a Kurt Vonnegut, but um, I'm generally just more like drama. Like I, I, I quite like quite like absurd and kind of more just yeah like drama stories honestly like i don't know how to describe like my general thing i would just say like i avoid i avoid some genre fiction apart from sci-fi sci-fi has always been something that interested me and something i want to write in but like i don't like i'm not really a big like romance fan but i think that's pretty typical among men i'm not a big like um you know those like spy books you get at airports like Tom Clancy. I'm not a big fan of all no. those, although they sell huge. Like they are yeah. big, big sellers all the time. Like guys, fucking love a good like spy thriller, a good Jack Reacher book or something. But I'm well, just yeah, not that, like. It's that's probably the same reason guys play video games. It's you know you're you're getting to play as an avatar, as somebody who's actually badass, and because you're not, you're reading a spy novel yeah. where you're you can put yourself in as Jack Reacher or James Bond or whoever. Yeah. But I'm just, yeah, that, that whole approach. Like, that's never been something that I've been like, yeah, yeah. I want to do that. Like if I'm ever like anything I've written, I'll generally, I'll have a very underpowered main character. I realize kind of a general theme I'll have is that specifically the antagonistic force is something that you can't kind of beat. You can't conquer like in, like I've been working in like short story writing and um, in one of them, the antagonistic force was like a kind of a social virus, which just infects people and you can't fight it or like beat it. And in another one, it's like a loop story. So like 
the the antagonistic force is like the like just existence itself and that's kind of more my jam like kind of more cosmic horror if i had to choose like a specific genre or a specific archetype i like i quite like when the kind of the the force the antagonism is coming from something that you can't stop i quite like that but whereas that's not really the case in like marvel or fantasy where we need heroes to win and we need them to succeed like i quite i'm a big fan of negative arcs where you know everyone dies at the end i like a good tragedy <laughs> that's more my jam i'm big just a fantasy seven fan huh yeah, yeah i'm just a negative person i just want them all <laughs> to die so and that's you don't uh, get that in the monomyth no no you don't um i had a couple couple of thoughts on that um did you watch the WandaVision show? I know it's Marvel, I but so I have not seen any of the Marvel shows because they're because they're on Disney Plus. I have Disney Plus. Why would I get the Mickey Mouse ears? That's fair. I mean, it has the old X Men cartoon from the nineties. That's that's reason alone. But yeah, I, I was there. I saw that. I don't need to see that again. I was there, man. <laughs> um, so in WandaVision, it's uh, it, the the main antagonist that most people have come to conclude is grief. Actually, it's not, there's not actually yeah. like a, like a big bad guy. There is, but that's not, you know, they get beat a couple episodes before the finale. Ultimately grief is, is the antagonist. That's what's causing her to go crazy. So I, 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 I'm as soon as you said, you like, you know, maybe a, uh, an antagonist that's not like a big baddie that just you can go beat up and and win it's <laughs> it's something that you can't necessarily beat um yeah i think yeah, that's I prefer that. um Generally. another thing when you when you were uh talking is you said you like a underpowered uh protagonist which yeah um i i heard a theory the other day that's pretty interesting about you know, creating character when you're creating characters for your story, your your protagonist should be the the least interesting person in the story, and they should be <laughs> surrounded by all these interesting characters that enrich the the world or the character, they're the protagonist. Um, uh, I don't know. I don't know. I, I probably wouldn't. I probably wouldn't do that if I was writing a story like primarily my biggest issue is with stories are when the main character is reactive to a story, which is to say the main character, like, um, like, do you know, are you not really a big, like anime fan, but like bleach? Did you ever watch bleach? No, I read bleach or, um, I'm trying to think like, um, Luke Skywalker actually is a good example. He is a reactive character. He doesn't, he wants to leave, but he leaves after something happens to him. And he generally, the decisions he makes, like he does make some decisions, but when, you know, you are watching someone without any obvious thing that's driving them through the story, like they aren't, they don't want anything in particular. Maybe like Luke wants to join the rebellion, but that's kind of like a nebulous thing. Like Luke doesn't want anything and he doesn't, go out of his way particularly like he's eventually he's kind of dragged through this story because you know his dad's 
Darth Vader and save the princess and all that, but he's not trying to achieve something. And it's just um, for people like listening to this who have watched like anime, like the big three of One Piece, Naruto and Bleach, Bleach, I think, primarily failed because the main character is entirely reactive. He has nothing that he wants apart from like protect his friends, which is a very bland goal. Whereas in Naruto, um, Naruto, the main guy, he he has a goal the whole time. And in One Piece, uh, Luffy has a goal the whole time. And that is able to drive them through the narrative because they are going to do something. They are being active in the story. And in Bleach, um, the writer, Kobe, I think it's Kobe. Is it Kobe or something like that? I forget, his, I forget his name. But he was constantly pulling against the fact that there's nothing to keep his main character in the story. Like the, the, the story is happening around him and he just happens to be there and the most powerful person. So it's kind of, that's kind of one thing I try to avoid constantly is that is your main character making decisions? Are they making decisions that impact the story and if they're not then you're probably focusing on the wrong character and if you're and if you're wanting to write something and you're you're like han solo is you like i want to get back to writing about han solo han solo should probably be the main character because hell hell yeah he should (laughs) hell yeah he should but you know because i mean it's it's slightly different because luke is quite a likable person but you know, it's it's different when like hands on screen and hands doing stuff. Like that's a slightly different experience, and I think that's kind of why he's the um, the bigger attraction. And a lot of people, but a lot of people think slightly differently. They like the main character who's more of just a template. He's more of just like a mannequin that you can hang your own personality off. And he doesn't really have a personality. He's yeah. just very powerful, and he just kind of exists. And you're able to live vicariously through that. And that's fine. Some people like that. That's just not something I'm that interested in, basically. Sure. So, I mean, the, the the one example I had was uh, was Pirates of the Caribbean, the yeah. the first the first one anyway, because it kind of got off the rails the further they went in. But in the first Pirates of the Caribbean, the main character really is Will Turner. It's not Jack Sparrow. Yeah. They they don't introduce Jack Sparrow until later. He's he's just kind of a guy that is making a mess of things. Like he's he's chaos. Mm-hmm. Uh, that he's bringing chaos to all these people's lives, but he's not the main character. Will Will Turner is, and we're kind of seeing everything through his and um, Kira Knightley's no. characters' eyes. Like we're we're seeing them, and then Jack Sparrow is the most interesting. That is no, I don't know how you feel about that movie, but I love the the first <laughs> part of the Caribbean. One of my favorites. Um, I think I, it's a I, great I, story. I quite yeah. I mean, I I remember I haven't watched it since it came out, but obviously, I was like twelve when it came out, and I really enjoyed it. But I think that's also another interesting example where actually having those more bland characters is able to anchor us into the story. Whereas Jack Sparrow is a bit too chaotic. Like Jack Sparrow's like like you say like once the movie's focused on him and him alone they become slightly different entities because Jack Sparrow in the first one, he is, he's chaos and, you know, he's good fun. He gets jokes every scene, all that. But he also, he kind of has a plan and like, he's, you know, he's like actually very intelligent. He's actually kind of scoping out the situation. And when he's not the main character, 
I think that works a lot better because he's not our point of view. So he can have these plans and he can execute these plans without us kind of knowing what's going on and kind of having his inner dialogue. So he can seem quite random and then he puts stuff together, like when he takes like the gold out of the chest or whatever. And it's like, okay, he actually, he has a plan. Whereas when he's the main character, if you want him to stay as this kind of chaotic entity, he kind of, he can't have that plan because otherwise you have to see that inner working of like his, the inner character mechanics of like, right, this is what my plan is going to be. And I'm going to show them. And that kind of, that ruins the mystique. So I think he's an example of the most interesting character where it works much better when he's a supporting character because he kind of, yeah, he doesn't work as well when you have to see what his inner kind of his inner dialogue is with himself when you have to see him making these plans rather than just him executing these plans and appearing chaotic it's kind of yeah it's like it's like a magician like he's like a magician and when you change it to the pov of the magician you need to see how the trick is done and that ruins some of the mystique of it i think yeah yeah absolutely yeah that's that's more or less um my uh poorly explained first <laughs> explanation <laughs> of of what I was talking about with the uh, with the least, I don't mean like when I say the least interesting character, like they shouldn't be just a, a two by four sitting there waiting for things to bounce off of them. I mean, still no. have still have personality and and, and an actual yeah. character, but don't be like you say, you know, you can't, don't be Jack Sparrow, don't be the wild crazy, like can't be the Joker, um, <laughs> the wild card. Yeah. Was it the in the uh... And it's always sunny. Uh, yeah, always sunny. No, no, no group needs a wild card. Why would anyone have a wild card? Everybody needs a wild card. Yeah, it's, <laughs> yeah. I think that so makes no, it um, no one would have one in reality. No one, no group needs a wild card. Yeah, nobody, nobody would actually want Jack Sparrow. That's that's what makes yeah. it. That's what makes yeah. it interesting. Um, yeah. So another, I mean, we already pretty much talked about Gamble with the hero's journey. Um, you feel pretty much the same way about Hero of a Thousand Faces, how every culture, I mean, his explanation that we all kind of are striving for the same thing. Now, this is rooted more in psychology, but... Um, it is. I Yeah, so why I'm not totally a fan, specifically of Campbell's work in the field, is that, I mean, he is he bases a lot of it in folklore. It's all about, you know, like I said, these, these oral traditions that are passed down and the problem is i think is that he is quite he's picking and choosing the folklore that gets passed down like like to bring it back to something like the witcher the reason the witcher feels quite bold and daring is because with they're taking from other folklores that joseph campbell doesn't really acknowledge in the monomyth like Mm -hmm. the way i like to think about it is that storytelling is like the different stories you can tell is like an alphabet and the monomyth is like one letter in that alphabet. And that makes sense. And Joseph Campbell has taken all the stories in folklore, which fit that letter and has said, right, this is what humans want in a story because we see it here, here and here. But the reality is a lot of these stories, like um, for example, I remember having a conversation with you about Shakespeare taking a lot of his stories from other people. And the reality is that, stories like Hamlet and Amleth, they have 
a wide variety. Like every culture has this story. Every culture has Romeo and Juliet. And sometimes it plays out differently depending on different like cultural values. And Joseph Campbell basically just writes the Western white man, basically cultural value, which feeds into my main problem with the monomyth is that it's a fundamentally conservative worldview, which is, which might sound a bit like overtly political, but just so the monomyth is primarily that, like you said, you, you go from the person and then they enter the unknown, they go to another planet, you know, their way of life is destroyed kind of thing. And they have to, or not destroyed, but they're kind of taken out of it. The status quo has changed and they have to recreate it. And that's basically acknowledging that whatever the status quo is for that character, that was good. That was a positive and that we now, you know, that status quo is upended by something like the Lion King, Scar becomes King, that upends the status quo, which is a bad thing and Simba needs to become the good king again and return it to the way it was before. And, you know, it's been done to death that, oh, you know, the Lion King, we're seeing it from the perspective of the Predators. Of course, for them, the way it was was good. We So them returning it to the status quo it might not be good for the gazelles. So it's that kind of thing that, yes, the monomyth is a story, but it's a story from the perspective of the person for whom society is working. So like a woman in the hero's journey might want to change the society. You know, she might want to, you know, change the way gender equality works or a black person or a gay person or anyone who is not, you know, the dominant for American British audiences, straight white man for whom society works very well and they want to return to that status quo. For anyone else, that's kind of, that's not really a great thing. Like like in um, J.K. Rowling, like her, she is so inept, she's so incapable of imagining <laughs> a better world that she just, like her books are full of slavery and racism and like horrible, like the status quo in the Harry Potter books is horrible. And at the end they return to that status quo because she's incapable of imagining a different world than this like conservative reality that she has. So that's kind of, that's my main critique of the monomyth is that it's a fundamentally conservative storytelling structure, but it's still good. Like, you know, I I like Star Wars. It's cool. Yeah. I, yeah, I really like how you put it, and then also I love I love the shot at J.K. There, as well. <laughs> she does suck. She does With suck. Her, their books they were good whenever I was eight, but once <laughs> you get older, it's like all right, these these are not that great. Everybody grow up. No, kind of no, like no. how you said the the grown woman crying at Disney. People yeah, should not be so obsessed with Harry Potter when you're an yeah adult. it's it's yeah it's fine you were ten you were ten you're a stupid kid you're allowed to like stupid stuff but then do not read them now like anyone who if anyone has read them after the age of like sixteen seventeen and really enjoyed them then I have serious questions for you because those those books they have like main characters are like oh yeah you know don't worry they like being you know house elves like being slaves <laughs> like they have like like Asian characters called Cho Chang and yeah. stuff, which is like deeply racist and all the other like schools are called these really racist names. And she's just such a, such a cunt, such yeah. a horrible person that, yeah, like I, I can't, but you're a kid. You're, it's fine. Steven, you're a kid. 
It's not. <laughs> it's not your. It's not your fault. You like it. Was, it was our first foray into being British, so we we all loved it over here. <laughs> like, oh, this is fun, isn't it? Um, so uh, I forgot what I was going to say after that. I had a whole point. Um, so one of the th- I know one of the movies that has been talked about a lot this year um, was now correct me if I get this name wrong because. I'm not super familiar with it. Everything, everywhere, all at once. Did Is it. that it? It got it. it. Boom. Um, so this movie, this does not change, or this does not follow the hero's journey. This is more like the the woman wants to change how things are, right? I, I haven't seen it, so I, I can't. Um, I, I would say, um, I would say it's if it does follow fundamentally a hero's journey however yes like what she takes away from it is slightly different like i i really liked the movie i thought it was it was really well done especially on the budget it was so bold like what it did like i remember because i i saw dr strange too um the week before because one of my friends likes marvel and he was like do you want to come watch it i'm like well i'm trying to see more movies this year so go on then i'll go watch it and i was like this is i find this quite boring outside the sam raimi references to himself i found it pretty boring but everything everything everywhere all at once made it even more boring because i was like this is such an interesting way to do a multiverse story and it's such um it kind of it touches on like the, the fundamental point of the story and how um it kind of subverts the hero's journey or how it takes that and adds something to it is by tapping into like modern nihilism and by tapping into the idea that um, what really matters and what is the, um, what if you can experience everything everywhere all at once, what actually matters? Like what, like the main characters are able to experience all realities at once and they, and it's so overwhelming and there's so much that does then they realize that none of this really matters and you could just like end it and it's that kind of that realization that it's um it's kind of Camuan um absurdism like um existential absurdism which is just like the idea that you know without god nothing matters so whatever matters is what you want to matter it's that kind of the optimistic nihilism where you know you can either drown in sadness at the fact none of this matters everything is impermanent we're all going to die nothing we do will ever matter in an uncaring universe or you could be like you know i had dinner with my family and that was really cool and that's kind of what i'm going to take away from this and those memories it doesn't matter that they're not going to be etched in stone on a universe somewhere because they happened for me and I enjoyed that. And that's kind of that more deeper philosophical conversation that it has with itself and that the main character takes away. And then there is other stuff like, you know, she becomes more more accepting of her daughter's homosexuality and she becomes a more caring person and those types of things. Like there is more to it, but that kind of depth of kind of philosophical conversation is what really makes it stand out in the hero's journey for me. Yeah, I like that, I, how it's, you know, appreciate the the day to day. You know, it, just because you know you don't think there's something beyond doesn't make it meaningless. It just means you appreciate the 
the here and now a little bit more. I like that message. It's good. A little bit. Yeah. I mean, Doctor Strange didn't quite nail that, but <laughs> they did pretty good too. You know, angry I, guy. You know- you know, I you know when I um, realized like, oh, this this isn't really for me, was like the very first um, scene. I can't remember. Is it is her name like America? I don't remember the name. Yeah, America Chavez. Yeah, there you go with the the main MacGuffin girl. Who yeah. when she's like she's like on the bus and there's like that squid thing attacking her and Doctor Strange is doing all these spells to like save her and kill the squid thing, and he's just like waving his arms around. And there's all this CGI stuff moving around. And I'm like, ah, oh, this isn't really my jam. This isn't really for me. Like, I, I really don't care about you or anything that's going on. And that just persisted throughout the story. Like, there, there are cool parts. Like, you know, when um, Wanda goes full, like, slasher killer, that was yeah. kind of cool. But, like, yeah, yeah. yeah, it was definitely different for a, um, a Marvel movie. But then at the same time, I'm like... You know, you could portray, like in everything, everywhere, all at once, you jump from a universe where people have sausages for hands to a universe where there are like rocks and the only things that exist are rocks to a universe where the main character is a movie star to a universe where she's basically herself as she is now, but slightly different. And you're watching all of these things happen at once and you're watching them all kind of happen simultaneously as she experiences them all. And I'm like, you could have done that, Marvel. You had ten times the budget. You could have done something really interesting. Instead, <laughs> they uh, they had a different world, the different universes where the red lights were actually the green lights in this one <laughs> on, yeah. on traffic lights. Yeah. It was pretty crazy. Like, <laughs> exactly. I'm like, you know, this isn't really that. You know, you're jumping to these universes where, yeah, okay, it, you know, in this universe there are different characters, and oh, here's here's Patrick Stewart. You guys know Patrick Stewart. You like Patrick Stewart. He's yeah. Patrick Stewart. And I'm like, yeah, okay. So you just, that's kind of what I get from the MCU now is that they're more concerned. Like, can hey, remember that other thing you liked? Here's the other thing you like. You like Tobey Maguire Spider-Man movies? Yeah. Here's Tobey Maguire. And I like Tobey Maguire Spider-Man movies. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, so I'd, I liked having Tobey Maguire in there. And that was quite cool. Andrew Garfield and Tobey Maguire and... What's his name? The new one. They're all together in a movie. That that was fun, but that's basically what it is. Like, it's not yeah. like they're not trying to say anything interesting. And that's kind of when I get grabbed by a movie. It's primarily when it's I think it's saying something really interesting, and it's doing it in quite a bold way. Like that's generally when I'm like, oh yeah, fuck, this has really grabbed me. Like one recently was a, and I actually am quite alone in this, but I really enjoyed it was a 2013 horror sci-fi called Under the Skin with oh. Scarlett Johansson. Yeah, I really, yeah. I, I really loved that movie. I thought it was such a bold choice of like, you know, where she plays like an alien in Glasgow, picking up men and like devouring them. I thought that was such a cool movie. And I thought it just, it, it was doing something so different that it grabbed my attention very early on. And pulled me with it and it was saying something really interesting about like violence against women and violence against men and like what it means to be human and what it means to have compassion and it was just yeah i thought that was such a good movie and that's that's like what really grabs me like whereas a by the numbers um autobiography like i don't know if you've ever seen a movie called the fighter 
with Christian yeah. Bale. Oh, I love like, that movie. Like I like that movie. Like I gave it like uh, I gave it like a six, I think. But like it's such a like by the numbers. Like you know exactly what's going to happen as the movie goes on. And like yeah. I liked it because Christian Bale is like incredible performance by Christian Bale. Amy Adams is great. Mark Wahlberg, I think, is it Mark Wahlberg who plays? Oh yeah, the good Mark brother. Mark. Like, yeah, he's he's really good as well. Like, he's got quite a subdued role, but he's really good. Like, they're really good performances, and it's like a good Hollywood movie, but it's not doing anything. Like, I finished it and I was like, okay, yeah, that was definitely a movie. That was definitely a movie I just watched. Well, and yeah, I'm like, it, you know, it didn't have a message per se, but it did have I, that one. I at least. I acknowledge that it had the emotional punches, like whenever they, uh, when you know, the whole time he he thinks that he's being filmed for his comeback or something, or yeah, doing yeah. like a documentary on how he fought uh, Sugar Ray. Then it turns out they're doing a documentary on uh, the crack ep- epidemic in the U.S. Yeah. Which, whenever they reveal that, it's like, oh shit! I mean that yeah. that is that is really well done. But yeah, it's not saying like. No, it's not sending it's, a message like everything everywhere all at once, but no, but when, but it's when you um, like, cause I've watched quite a lot of movies this year and there were a lot of like movies like that where they're good and they're well-performed movies, but you can, you can line them all up and say, right, Hollywood is trying to just make this movie. Like Hollywood is just saying, right, right. Here's, here's a real person's life. Here's a real person's story. And, you know, you, you hear about the story of these two brothers and it's quite interesting. And, you know, there are little archetypes, little like story arcs that you see in it. And it's like, oh, that's really interesting. And Hollywood just takes that and make Hollywood affies it. You know, like in another example would be First Man with Neil Armstrong was like, but that was that. That's a fine movie as well. But it's like it's very Hollywood movie or like Rush is like a very Hollywood movie with um chris hemsworth in it and yeah. that the other guy it's got the other guy from winter soldier not winter soldier the other one i don't know the uh the russiany guy the russian guy who pits oh, iron man and yeah what's his name again i don't know Captain his America. name yeah he's yeah, the guy it's like those two plays emo yeah 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 zemo that's the one and it's yeah. like and it's just a very by the numbers hollywood biographical kind of movie and they're they're fine, like they're they're well made. They're normally well performed. They got they you know they do a good job, but then they don't grab me like a movie like a really interesting horror or a really interesting drama would grab me. Like the Florida Project that I just saw with um, Sean Baker's Florida Project, like yeah, that just wanna, grabbed me. I still want to watch that. All yeah, these movies right. that you recommend in the group, I can't find them anywhere. So I'm like, yeah, I want to watch no, that. Yeah, but yeah. I can't find yeah, it. yeah, that's yeah, that's the thing because I'm I'm trying to recommend movies that I'm like, it's not Spider Man three. I'm trying to recommend like a quite a small one. Like yeah. I'm going on like Letterbox or something and being like, oh, that movie has less than a hundred thousand people watched it, and it's like, um, and then I'm like, yeah, so it needs more people to watch it. The problem is no one's watching it because they can't find it anywhere. <laughs> so it's, yeah. It's yeah, a double that whammy, but that is yeah. I want to see like that one, one and the uh, the one with Ben Foster. Where oh, him leave and no him. trace. That is yeah. like that is overwhelming. That is like so good. I was like in tears by the end of that and Florida Project. I was just like, oh my god, this is incredible. 
And it's so beautiful when you find that. Like I'm watching all these movies. I'm like, yeah, that's like a five out of 10. That's like a six out of 10. That's like a four out of 10. And I watch that and I'm like, oh my God, this is what you can do with storytelling. This mm-hmm. is so beautiful. And it really like that really like perks me up. That, that really makes my day when I find that. Like, yeah, I really have love you, that. Have you watched um, uh, Marvelous Miss Mabel? I have not seen it. I'm guessing that's on Disney. No, no, no. It's on. No, it's not a superhero movie at all. Surprisingly. Oh, sounds like it, it is. No, it's a uh, it's on Amazon. So support them if you will. But it's actually um, it's about a female uh, stand up. It's about a girl breaking into stand up comedy back in the 1950s uh, when, you know, and you can imagine, you can imagine the hijinks that ensue when <laughs> she tries to get up on stage. But I think it's an interesting take on like, like you were mentioning earlier about somebody wanting to break the uh, social norms, mm-hmm. um, how she's trying to subvert, you know, like, okay, just because it's a woman trying to break through in a man's world. Yeah, because, you know, women are funny. So that's kind of, you know, the given <laughs> in all of this. Absolutely. But- you know, that's that's the conceit of the story is that, you know, everyone who comes across this person thinks she can't be funny because right. she's yeah. a woman. <laughs> How could she be funny? <laughs> yeah, I mean, but it, it, it's really well done. I recommend, I mean, at least the first few seasons is really good. Um, the, <laughs> I think the writing is good, but I would recommend that for, you know, something besides the hero's journey. If you're looking yeah, yeah. for a few seasons of that, I know you're watching movies and you're not. I know how you, uh, you British don't like watching seasons with more than like three episodes or whatever you do. Yeah, we don't. Yeah, I was, um, I can't remember who I was talking to, but I was saying that like one of our comedy shows on BBC just reached, it became the first like 20 minute comedy show on the BBC <laughs> to pass 100 episodes. Like, yeah. <laughs> and like 100 episodes. I'm like, that's like three seasons of an American show. And they yeah. go on forever. And I'm like, yeah, yeah we, you guys, you just, you're different. We like our, we, we know what we like and we want to see more of it. Yeah, yeah. And you're like, yes, I really love The Office. Give me 300 more episodes. Hmm. And I'm like, I love The Office too, but those last couple seasons really sucked. <laughs> so yeah, they did. They should have stopped earlier. There is a point, like even, even with Game of Thrones, they should have held george R. R. martin hostage and be like you need to finish this mm-hmm. because what we're doing is not working <laughs> those, yeah, yeah those yeah. last few were yeah. tough they should have just that, told him to finish it that's also why i think like i think tv has maybe like a higher ceiling but i think it's got a lower floor in some cases like especially when you see like game of thrones like like i kind of get it like the D guys like they suck as writers but yeah. they've also been writing the same story for 10 years and it kind of gets difficult to really ramp yourself up. Like, yeah, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. Like something like the reason why I've kind of shifted over to screenwriting rather than like novel writing is because a novel takes fucking ages to write. It's like 75,000 words plus. And like, you know, you get these people who like writing, but like reading books and they're like, oh yeah, this is like 800 pages. And I'm like, that's so much writing. That takes so much planning and so much thinking about it. And then I get like, you know, the um, the script that I sold was like 30 pages. And I'm like, I bashed that out in a weekend. 
And like it took, it was like a week of planning and then a weekend of writing and then a couple weeks of like redrafting and bam, it's done. And that's a completed story. That's a story. The story is done. And I'm like, yes. And you can go into, you know, a studio and you can make that in like a 20 day shoot and people don't have to age. Like people don't have to be in the same role for 10 years and get older and start hating their characters. And you don't have to bring on different writers over seasons like the Simpsons and get shit. Like you don't have to do all that. You can just have like one focused, we're going to tell this story in like two hours. That's it. And you know, the story is able to be like, you're able to be more consistent within it. Like you can't tell as expansive stories, but you, you can be a lot more consistent inside that. And that's yeah. like what really draws me to it. As long as, as long as you are able to tell a, a, uh, a tight story within two hours. Absolutely. I think, I think movies are still, they still have, you know, I mean, they're, still, they're still, yeah, undefeated. still my favorite. It's still but, my favorite. I get, I get why people prefer like TV shows. Just sit down and binge hours and get into like get really into like characters and really into storylines. Like I get that. Yeah. But it's yeah. Like I'm I I I'm a you know I'm a millennial. I've got a short attention span. <laughs> I want to get in. I want to get in. Get out. I see a, I see a movie and I see that it's like ninety five minutes long. I'm like yes. I'm gonna get in. Get out. I'm gonna have dinner. I'm gonna have dinner soon. I can't wait. Yeah, uh, I, you know, and I see a movie that's like two and a half hours long. I'm like, oh, I might, might leave that one today. I'm not really feeling like I want to sit down for two and a half hours right now and, and be bored. And be bored yeah, like be watching bored. A, a PTA movie. I, oh no, I, they're, they're the best. They're I do want to talk to you. I do want to talk to you about this before, um, um, before we basically head out. This might be our last one, but um, I need you to explain to me what is good about PTA because I have given him multiple chances and I have not enjoyed one experience of watching. Like I watched Boogie Nights and I, I was like, I, I feel gross. I don't want to, I don't want to watch <laughs> anything like that ever again. It was terrible. No, no. I mean, um, I think <laughs> I kind of get that. Like I get the Boogie Nights experience because I was, I went into Boogie Nights and I think I expected something slightly different. And I really liked what I got, but I didn't think it was like perfect, but I did really enjoy it. But I think what it comes down to is he kind of makes stories that people who make stories and people who make movies, they watch it and they appreciate that kind of that craft that goes into it. Like, I think that's part of it. Like, I, I really do, because Paul Thomas Anderson's movies, they do not really make money. Like... Paul Thomas Anderson is hired to win studios Oscars. He's not hired to, you know, direct the new guardians of the galaxy and make $800 million. He doesn't do that. I remember once actually counting it out. I think his movies have made a profit, like a, like a kind of significant profit, but a lot of his movies have not broken even. And that's kind of, then that's because like studios just do it for money. And that's because I think, yeah, I, I don't think he totally resonates with a lot of people. I think he makes art for the art's sake. And like you say, like Boogie Nights has miraculous sequences. Like they're a party, like the party sequences at the mansion, you look at them, it doesn't have a cut for like three minutes 
and it but it goes through like four different scenes and four different interactions in those three minutes without a cut and the camera the way the camera moves and follows people is yeah. like it's genius but it's also not something if you're just sitting down to watch a movie and be entertained you're necessarily going to pick up like the master is a gorgeous piece of like ambient storytelling about like Scientology. It also doesn't really have an ending and it also like, it doesn't really, unless you're really willing to sit there and really think about it, it doesn't really say anything on the surface that you can just latch onto and grab like, and I think that's kind of the issue for Paul Thomas Anderson is that he makes movies that, other people who like move who make movies and write movies and are interested in this stuff he makes movies that they will adore and he makes movies that like will not make money and and i think that's just kind of something that he's probably learned to live with now because studios will be like studios are happy to give him 25 million dollars and say right go win us an oscar and if you make money that's great but you probably won't but maybe you'll win us an oscar and that's kind of that's kind of the niche that he falls into now. So Which, he, you know. he's basically he's the hipster, he's the director's director, like Yeah. Yeah. Like he yeah. He's like he's like, you know those like bands where like I can't think of one off the top of my head, but where it's like, oh, they're so talented. They're so talented. And it's like but they've never had like a top ten single. <laughs> that's the bands that get mentioned in our group are like that yeah. like I've never heard of this band yeah. in my life yeah you're like you never heard of this band but oh by the way they in they influenced xyz like you know yeah. all those great bands that you loved like i remember there was one i can't remember the name now but it was like oh yeah and like they were like a really crowning influence on like nirvana and the pixies and Soundgarden. and it's like i've never heard of this band before but they were like, oh yeah, they're... but all these bands are like, oh yeah, that's the band. That's the fucking band. And that's kind of what Paul Thomas Anderson is, I think. He's like, he's that band that is like so important. But some other I, people like they, you know. I, I love I just, I just struggle with the the storytelling aspect of it. Like, oh we'll just stay on Boogie Nights. <laughs> uh, maybe I maybe I missed the whole the point or whatever, but ultimately at the end, spoiler alert, if you haven't seen it, but I mean, he, they just go back and yeah. start hanging out with each other. And it's like, okay, what, what was the whole breakup and yeah. What was the whole point? Yeah. I mean, Boogie Nights, I, I agree. I didn't, I didn't like the ending. I think they should have gone darker with the ending, but mm-hmm. I, I kind of, I get why, because I think they didn't want you to come away from it thinking that, you know, sex work and pornography, like these people are bad because that's what they do, I think. And I don't think that's kind of the takeaway you have at the end. Like for me, I certainly, I didn't think, I thought these were, you know, people who have maybe issues, but they're not necessarily bad people. And I think he was kind of, he wanted to make sure that you didn't come away thinking they were bad. So he wanted it to be kind of like a positive ending for them. But I did think that there was, yeah, like the ending kind of struck me as like, and it all ended up okay. And yeah. they're fine now. Don't worry, they're fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and they, they lived happily ever after. You know, making yeah. porno together. <laughs> I yeah, like, I mean, I did okay. I'm glad I wasn't the only one. But there were really good. You did mention like some of the the uh, what is that where they don't 
make any cuts. Like it's just one continuous shot. Long, it's like a, a single take, like a kind of, yeah. yeah. So the one with uh, William H. Macy's character where he, where he oh, ultimately yeah, yeah. ends up killing himself because yeah. uh, of his yeah, wife. His wife. Yeah, that yeah. was that was really well done. That and the um, the scene where they go to oh, what are they? Gonna, they're going to go rob that guy, and the guy is blowing oh. up fireworks in the background. Oh yeah, yeah. Like there were yeah, yeah. good there were good scenes in the movie, but like as a whole, I didn't care for it. Um, oh, I I enjoyed it. Like it's not close to my favorite. Um, Paul Thomas Anderson movie like I do think there will be blood is like maybe the greatest movie ever but I still need to watch it it's so good but again like it's one of those things like I think you might you might probably enjoy it but maybe it'll just be one of those things where like you're like "Eh." you know it's good it's not really for me though and that's that's okay that's okay stuff doesn't have to be you know you don't have to love it like I watched um was it Fellini who made a, he's like an Italian director. He made a movie called eight and a half, which is like, Oh, you have to see eight and a half. It's amazing. It's like one of the great movies ever. And I watched it. I was like, "Ah." you know, this movie smells its own farts. I'm not a fan. (laughs) People just, people love like people who make films, love films about filmmaking. And I'm like, this movie is just so self-indulgent and annoying. And I'm not loving it. And that's, that's fine. Like you're allowed to hate it. Like I just had a big um, discussion with Nick Smith last night from the group. Cause I was like, yeah, Jaws is, it's all right. But I think it's a bit, it's a bit like um, the narrative of Jaws is a bit wasteful and a bit all over the place. And he was like, nah, it's like a perfect movie. And I was like, ah, mm-hmm. it's not really for me. And that's okay. I don't, think, you know. I don't think it's perfect, but it is good. Like the buildup, it's kind of like uh yeah, like good. almost Kubrick, like you know, with with The Shining, where it's all about the build up. It's not yeah, ultimately it's... the the big moment at the end that matters. It's it's the build throughout. No, yeah, I I, I enjoyed it. Like I I enjoyed it, but it wasn't like ten out of ten amazing movie for me. But that's okay. Like you know, I think Pan's Labyrinth is the greatest movie ever, mm-hmm. and like other people, and yeah, like. You know, I don't expect other people to agree with me. And that's okay because I watch it and I love it. And that makes me happy. Yeah. And that's what it's all about, Stephen. It is. You know, actually, one there I was listening to, um, uh, I forget what I was listening to, but there was, uh, you know, Louis C.K., famous, yeah. um, not so loved guy, <laughs> but he just released a documentary, or not a documentary, he just cr- released a movie. Um, so he's doing the the tours and stuff, and he happened to come up on one of my shows that I listened to, and he was talking about um, basically the same thing we're talking about today. They they ask in very simple terms, "What do you think um, a good movie is?" And he was basically like, "If somebody enjoys that movie, it's a great movie because ultimately it gave someone an enjoyable experience. Like that, somebody connected to it. It's going to be, you know, it's a great movie to them." Yeah. That's all that really matters. Unless you're measuring it by like financial success, in which case Paul Thomas Anderson does not make great movies. So, you know, the only like objective measure we have of how great a movie is, you know, you're, you're in the right here with, uh, with PTA. Yeah. You know what? One of the, one of the only movies I've ever wanted to go ask for my money back for at the, after the movie was Inherent Vice. Um, I don't know if you ever had the. I it's, the it's on my list. I, I I need to see it. I have not seen it, 
and like people are like yeah like there are people who just hate it and then i see like film reviewers they're like oh yeah it was really good it's (laughs) fucking terrible it's so bad (laughs) i was furious with it after i got done there's one good part in the whole movie um i won't obviously if you're gonna watch it i won't Mm -hmm. spoil it it's not a spoiler it's just a funny little moment with josh brolin um you'll know what i'm talking about when it happens but that was literally the rest of it 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 was worse than how boogie how i didn't like the ending of boogie nights i i was furious with the ending of inherent bites i was like what did i just watch why did i just watch this it feels like a waste of time <laughs> well so, I, I i can't wait to see it yeah. that sounds perfect for me enjoy Everyone, i don't know if you've seen have you seen drive i mean everyone's um, got to see drive drive I, yeah, is like the most mean, yeah the one where he's a drive he drives Yes, where he drives. Like, yeah, he drives. <laughs> he invents driving and he drives. Yeah. And I watched that and I was like blown away. I love that movie. I think it, it's a meme at this point how much like Pete, some people love it. I am one of those people. I absolutely love drive. And I was like, this is so well done. This is so amazing. I need to go see um, the writer's other work, the director's other work, Nicholas um, Reffen Winding, I think his name is. And I went and I saw another movie called Only God Forgives, starring Ryan Gosling, and another one called Valhalla Rising, starring Mads Mikkelsen. Both both actors I really love. And the movies, I was like, I don't know if this is just... I don't know what's happening, but I hate these movies. I really, really hate them. Like, I was falling asleep. I never fall asleep. I'm always engaged with a movie. I nearly fell asleep on Only God Forgives. And it's like it's like a it's like a kung fu samurai movie, like set in like Thailand. And I was like, you know, I'm a guy. Like I love Ong Bak, I love the raid, I love these movies. Why oh, is yeah. this one putting me to sleep? And I was like, this is so bad. And I just like I do not vibe with this. And I'm like, I don't know what you did, but there was like this one movie where you caught it perfectly. You caught everything so perfectly, and I hate everything else you've ever done. <laughs> and I was like, I've never had that experience with any other director. Generally, like if I have like a, you made a great movie, I'll watch the other ones and be like, yeah, this is good, this is good. It's not as good as this other one, but it's great still. But yeah, if you ever anyone who has watched, I mean, maybe there's some people. Some people love Valhalla Rising. It's just like people stand around and get shot with arrows and that's kind of the movie i mean just based off the title it doesn't sound like it's gonna be great it's in that battlefield earth kind of yeah it's kind of yeah and that's kind of honestly like the territory i found it in and the same with like only god forgives like it's like this samurai this kind of like it's it's a gross like it's really dark like you know there's like really like visceral action and really horrible torture and this mm-hmm. weird like psychosexual shit is going on throughout it and it's like so i was like yeah this is like a really bold choice and it's got like these beautiful neon lights and it looks amazing and i'm like this is so boring and shit i don't understand why this is happening and yeah and maybe some people love it maybe someone's like no you don't get it man you don't get it and maybe i don't get it but I can like, explain. I can explain it to you right now. As a connoisseur and a little bit of an <laughs> expert on awful action movies, I can tell you <laughs> if you're gonna have a dumb, beat 'em up, gory, like just like Mortal Kombat type action, it needs to be dumb. 
Don't try and add a message in there. Don't get cute with it. <laughs> Just have people ripping other people's throats out or doing <laughs> video game finishers on them in a movie. That's what makes a good action movie. The Raid, but, fucking awesome. Just focus yeah. on the choreography. Oh, yeah. The Raid is like like a perfect action movie. The problem is it has that, like, it's fucking stupid, but it's mm-hmm. so stupid in such a weird, like, the main character, like, you very quickly realize, actually, Ryan Gosling is not the main character. Ryan Gosling is this pathetic loser <laughs> in the movie, yeah. but, like, the main character, he, like, there are two extended scenes where he just sings karaoke. Oh. The movie ends with him, and he's, like, this tiny Asian guy. And, it, and the movie ends with him singing karaoke after like the end of the movie. And I'm like, this is so weird. And like, I should probably like this because I like kind of weird movies, but this is not my vibe at all. And yeah. And I just wanted to get that off my chest because I've never said that to anyone. I've never <laughs> said, Oh, by the way, the guy that made drive, I hate all his other movies and I love <laughs> this one movie he did. And it's, yeah. Well, I'm glad you could get that off your chest here. I really needed to. I really needed to. It's like 1 a.m. here. I needed to get that off my chest. Well, before you get punch drunk, um, I'll let you get out of here and go get your beauty rest. God knows you need it. Um, but I do. It was always a, it's always a pleasure having you on, trying to uh, sound smarter than I am by talking to you about stories. Um, <laughs> no, just sound, I'm happy sound to. smart by association. I love, so. I love talking about yeah, yeah, it's, it's the accent. It, it's entirely the accent. Yeah, you can't like fool Benedict. me, I know. <laughs> it's like Benedict Cumberbatch. Like, if he didn't have the accent, people wouldn't know he, People wouldn't know he's not a good actor. Yeah, that's why we figured it out in Doctor Strange, because he, he has to talk like this. Like, <laughs> he has to talk with an American accent. Yes, it's it very bad. It doesn't really work. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, it is. I mean, it sounds fine to me, because I'm a stupid Brit. And I'm like, yeah, that's a really good American accent. Yeah, Dick Van Dyke's English accent, that sucks. Is that not how everybody sounds over there? (laughs) (laughs) We did did this on the last podcast, how clearly, I mean, everybody (laughs) sounds just like that over there, especially the people on the Geordie Shore. They do sound just like Oscar Isaac in that stupid Marvel show he did. (laughs) Oh, Moon Knight? Yeah, with that one. I haven't seen it. I saw like an extended sequence of it where he talks like, yeah, mate, that was fucking great. Yeah, pucker. And I was like, oh, my God, what's happening? What the fuck yeah. is this? Yeah, he was uh, like, hanging out in Newcastle before he started filming. That's, that's, where, he did <laughs> that's where he did his research at. That is like, that's, that's like the opposite end of where, of where his accent's from, but I'll forgive it. That's oh, like, well, you know what? That's, that's, like, where, that's where the Geordie Shore is at, right? It's Newcastle? Yeah, that's like the opposite end. Like his accent's from London, which is like that's that's like um, hearing a Boston accent and being like, "Oh, these Californian guys—they all sound the same." Oh, it's all the fucking same to me. I don't. It's know. all the fucking same. <laughs> it's all, and all I know is that Dick Van Dyke did it better than everybody else over there. He, he, has, he truly nailed it. <laughs> I mean, I like I like the movie. Regardless, it's fine. It's a ridiculous movie, but I'll let you have that one. <laughs> yeah. All right, Jacob, I'll let you get to sleep. I appreciate you coming on. Um, yeah, we'll yeah. talk again as we we literally didn't even talk about your your uh, script at all that we were going to talk about. But I know. That's all right. I know. That just oh, means you have to fine. come back. I'm writing on another again. one. I'm, I'm in the middle of a second draft of a feature, my first feature. So 
you know, by the time I do, I can probably talk about that one too. So it's well, fine. good. You know, if you ever need any help writing it, you can always uh, send me a copy and I'll look over it for you. As, as a, a bro, as, as a, a bro, bro. I'll, look at, I'll look at it for you. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> All right. I'll, I'll catch you later, bud. All right. See you later. Peace. Peace.